0: And so, he like, <laughs> no, you really don't want that, Dad. I Trust me, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> uh, so, we got a lot to cover. Uh, if you're new here, again, uh, no culture faux pas. We ask questions. Um, I might put people on blast, which means, again, if you're from the suburbs of me, I might call you out. And um, I'm just joking. Suburban people, please come back. That was a joke. Cause we, so... Um, But to read the text or uh, to ask a question, um, please feel free to do that. In fact, um, I I wish if if we could have done it over, I would have passed the mic out and had some people read the verses uh, for us. Now, what I'm going to do, if you've been in John chapter seven and what's been really cool is I've I've watched um, a lot of us doing homework and and reading before uh, you come. So that's really cool. Uh, If you need a Bible, you will need a Bible. Uh, and if you need something to take notes with, on the back of your, of your bulletin, you should be able to take notes. I want to encourage you to do that, uh, not just even, you know, in the flesh a little bit. It makes me feel good to see people writing. But really so that you can know more about what the truth of God says and, uh, and be able to take it home and begin to apply it in your life in the quietness of your home. Long chapter, right? So um, I feel like I've been getting a lot of long chapters lately. What we're going to do is we're going to... I broke it down a little bit, so I, I, hopefully it'll be like bite-sized, kind of. Um, I hope it works out that way. Um, so if it doesn't, give me some grace. But uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, verses in this chapter. In fact, there's 53, uh, 52. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to have, uh, I broke it down to major themes, okay, uh, because it's a, it's a narrative. Uh this is a uh historical narrative, so I broke the narrative down into like different discussions that are happening during the time and um who's the baby is Kelty got oh, okay so uh <laughs> but I'm like sorry, y'all uh, yeah okay so um so I broken it down into um into different discussions based on a narrative, and then uh hopefully that will help you even understand the text a little more. okay, so we're gonna jump um, right into chapter seven and then i I'm, I'm gonna read a little bit. And, and before you set me set it up. So this is a narrative. What we've, what we've just happened was just happened before. And, and it says after this. So we don't know if it was like uh, chronologically in the sense that. So then right after this, John chapter six, this happened. Or was it the author putting these different pieces together? Um, and it was like some time after, but we don't know exactly what the, what the time was. But in John chapter six, we've had a great severing. OK, there's been a great calling out. Um, in essence, Jesus sort of lets the cat out of the bag, he does some miracles, uh, and he's done a few already, but he does two in particular. Uh, so, he, you know, he heals his paralytic, right? Um, and then we also see him uh, feed the 5,000, okay? And so now the crowds are going, um, you know, oh, and then he walks on water, by the way. And, so, and so, um, so the crowds are seeing this, and 5,000 come, actually probably more than 5,000 because it says 5,000 men, so it's probably... Um, you know, maybe 10,000. I don't know. You, you, you can do the math. Um, I don't say everybody's married, but I'm sure there are some kids and stuff, too. Um, I obviously know that because the kid handled the and stuff. So um, so there's there's a lot of people. And then Jesus uh, basically calls them all out. He feeds them. And he says, you keep following me because you actually want bread. I mean, even though I've done these miracles and I've done all these things, this is why you're following me. And. And then actually begin to tell them, well, I just want you to know that you're, you're wanting bread, but I'm the bread of life. And if you would, um, if you would eat me, drink me, uh, you would have true life in a nutshell. Basically, if your allegiance would not be to your own, but if you would give me your allegiance, uh, you would actually have true life. And it says in the Bible uh, that all of them left Jesus. They said it was hard to their ears. It was hard teaching. They said, whoa, brother, you're telling me I can't be my own God and you want to be my God? No, I don't know about that. So they leave and it's left to 12. OK, so uh, so now we enter into chapter seven and we're at this uh, this feast of the tabernacles. OK, uh, there's a, a, a stars off first. And this is the first part of the, uh, the chapter. If you can continue on about people looking um, discussion of the brothers. OK. So I want so to break it down into just different, different tidbits, okay? So the first piece that we see in this narrative, in this huge discussion that we have in chapter 7, and that actually continues on in chapter 8, but we're going to just break down 7 today. So hold on with me. It's going to be a lot of information. It just starts off with the discussion of brothers. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and, and read this. Uh, after this, it says, Jesus went around in Galilee, uh, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews uh, were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. Isn't that deep? interesting that his brothers say, your disciples? Almost like the implication is like, like I'm not one of them, your disciples. Um, He says, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret, since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Isn't that powerful? Now, this, let me go back to that after, in a moment. Therefore, Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that what it does is evil. See, you go to the feast. I'm not, I'm not yet going up to the feast. Because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, Jesus stays in Galilee. So you have this uh, kind of this weird discussion amongst brothers. Now, uh, notice, notice a, a few key things here. Uh, the brothers had seen, had known at least, and probably seen Jesus do miracles. You see that? Where, where did I get that from in the text? Yeah, in this text. Verse three, see that? See that? Yeah, yeah. So we go into something a little different. So what I'm what I'm starting to do, y'all, y'all are like, what's going on? Asking me questions um, is, you know, back in the day we would do a lot of this, asking questions, and I think I think I got away a little bit from, and it started just kind of um, professing, and but I, but I'm like, man, I I, I want to make sure that we that we're engaged with each other, and that we that we or ascertaining what the scriptures are saying and that we are applying the scriptures. So I'm going to be asking questions and and having having people reading things of that sort. I want you to ask questions as well. Yes, this won't be good for online, but whatever. We're talking family members. Yes, we're talking his family, which, by the way, I'm sure they saw Jesus do some pretty cool things before he put it all on, you know, crazy when he was when he was about 30. I'm sure he just didn't walk through. He was just kind of one of the guys. And we know that from even, at, you know, when he was like 12, you know, hanging with the rabbis and, 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 pre- and preaching and teaching. So, um, so yeah, so we see, we see right here that they see uh, him do miracles. Uh, they, they know that he, that he, I mean, there's something about his life. They probably knew that he was kind of different. All right. Um, but yet it said that uh, they did not believe in him. And, and what I want to do here, if we can continue on, is I want to... Um, is I want to say Jesus makes a focus a mission, okay? And, and what I love about this is, and there's a point to this, <laughs> you're looking at that right there, is when I look at these guys, um, it seems to me, wow. So it doesn't necessarily mean anything if you know that God is powerful. Like, it doesn't mean much. if You, you, can, you, can, you can affirm that God has all power and that um, he can do all these things, and that doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. Almost like when I think of Satan. Like, if it took us recognizing what God could do for us and how powerful he was and respecting that, then, then Satan would be a Christian because he recognizes God's power. He recognizes that God is, is, is great and that he's huge, right? But yet it seems like, I love what Jesus does here. Jesus sort of fight back fight back, back a little bit. And what does he, what does he say? What, is, what terms does he use to sort of fight back against his brothers from the text? Can you go back to the text for me, e? Verse 6. And why? Why is any time right for them? Now, notice this. The world cannot hate you. Now, I love that. I love that because you know what he does? He exposes all of us. See, he says the world cannot hate you. Now, why does he say that? See, he says the world is evil. The world is evildoers. And he says the world cannot hate you. These are fighting words. Why? Because you're of the world. you see that? See, the world can't hate you because the world doesn't hate its own. You see that? Can you imagine? Brother's like, man, I just asked you to go to the festival. And now I'm like, Satan? And can you imagine? Poor guys? Right? So, so he made, so he made it clear, no, 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 see, the world doesn't hate its own. And, and to me, that, I put here in my, in my, in my notes here, uh, that there's two choices. It's like, to receive beauty and judge the world, or love the world and not receive beauty. Let me let me let me say it another way. A lot of times we look at our mission. We look at mission. Jesus' mission here. Right. It totally goes against the world. That's what he says here. He says it totally goes against the world. And a lot of times when we think of being on mission for Jesus, even sharing our faith or doing whatever uh, for Christ, we think, wow, we have to get the affirmation of the world. But it seems to me that what the scriptures teach a lot of times is that it's not that that Jesus made the mission unpopular. It's that the mission is unpopular. Do you hear me, family? See, the mission is unpopular. The mission of Jesus is nothing personal. See, we think, and that's what we do in our churches a lot of times, fam. We And I, and I do this a lot as we share our faith. We think, how, what's the right way I can tweak this to make sure that I get the right response out of this person? Ah, see, you don't realize, no, the mission makes things unpopular. The mission in itself, to tell someone that Jesus is the king of the universe and that you're not God and that you need him, that he loves you and he wants you to experience true life. Well, guess what? you got to die to yourself right now. That's unpopular. That's unpopular. That was unpopular for me in college. I ran for 19 years. And then one day I said, you know what? I get it. Okay, if I'm going to be a Christian, then that means I can't be my own God. And then I ran for another four months. (laughs) When I finally realized that, that actually was the claim of the gospel. And so, and so I want us to understand. See, to change popularity, you have to change the mission. So I just want us to understand that. If, you, if, if your focus is popularity, I guarantee you, the mission will be changed. And then you will no longer have the gospel. So let's just be clear. I'm not saying that we go out and we act stupid, but let's understand something, family. That we see right here Jesus being willing to be unbelieved and ridiculed by his brothers, knowing that the people wanted to kill him, and being very clear that here's why. Because what I'm doing, it just doesn't get a lot of airplay these days. You see that? The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what the what it does is evil. And, and what we have to be careful of, fam, and I love, I love that we love the Lord, praise God. We have to be careful, is sometimes we, we can want the stuff of Jesus, and we can say, Lord, okay, give me redemption and lack of judgment, but allow me to still be evil. That's not the mission. I'm going to answer what the mission is uh, pretty soon. So, uh, so we go back to the slide of mission. What is your mission for Jesus? So you look at this list, and we're all on here somewhere, and there's many other different things that, that we're doing, right? And, and, I, and, you know, there's no right answer. And this is what I love about the grace of God. I love this about the grace of God is that when you look up there, none of those are inherently wrong. But all of these, we have to always ask ourselves, and I just want us to just be asking ourselves, whether we're investors or moms, is, like, is, is it sort of like this is my mission and I'm a Christian or are we really asking ourselves, is this Jesus' mission for my life? Jesus, I want, I want your mission to be my mission. Do we want to adopt Jesus' mission, or do we want to have our own mission and have God kind of bless it? I think we just have to ask ourselves that. Now, now I'm not saying that, you know, oh, I can't be a mom now. <laughs> no, all these could be great. Right, right, right? You know what I'm saying? But I, but I think it's really healthy for us. As we think of how focused Christ was, and I'm getting to this in a moment in Philippians 2, how he tells us to have the same attitude as him. How focused he was that we should be exercising and asking ourselves every once in a while. So is what I'm doing, is this what I want to do or is this really what God wants me to do? Just a question. I'm convinced the Holy Spirit will answer us. I put author up there because that's my issue. I want to write so bad. I love writing, and I'm like, man, I don't get to write. And I'm like, Lord, so is this just me wanting to have a book? Or is this, is this a destiny? And I'm kind of scared to ask it, because he might tell me that it's just me wanting to write a book. Right? But you know what? I want to ask because I really want to do what the Lord has for me. Um, and I just think we should ask that question. Let's continue on. Uh, any questions about that text right there? We're cool, so that's the first pericope, right? Argument with the brothers. Brothers call them out saying, hey, you need to, you know, they try to, and, and, and notice this when you, when you go home. Notice they do sort of the same thing that Satan does to Jesus in the temptation, right? They try to make him speed up his inauguration, right? There's some great typology there that I can't get into right now. Um, but Jesus said, no, you can't, you can't rush this, brother. I'm, I'm totally sovereign. And I, 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 I'm going to die, but not yet, basically, Right? Um, so we're going to continue on. If there's no questions, are there any questions about the verse, first couple verses? Okay. We're going to continue on uh, with, oh, sorry. Yes, this yes, Vanessa. Yeah, please. You want to be a public figure. Just like Satan did. Uh-huh. No, go out there. Don't be secretive about it. Go now. Mm-hmm. Let these folks see what it is you can do. And um, it wasn't even important to them, even though he did say his, time, say his time wasn't now. Theirs was about going out there and show yourself off. Mm hmm. Yeah, so they're, they're like, hey, if, you, if you're serious, well, let's go, man. Go out here and do so. Exactly. Exactly what Satan did. You know, Satan tried to rush it. If you really son of God, do this, do that, do this. Put it, put it, on, put it on blast, everybody. Let me just continue on. Is there a big question? Can I? Yes, yes. Okay, cool. That's a great question. They have, but yeah, there are there are like many disciples in this state. I would, I would proclaim as just followers, people who were for whatever reason sort of hyped about Jesus. I wouldn't even necessarily say in their definition that, like, like, that Jesus and him would agree that they are Christians. But I think they would both agree that there are people who are hyped about Christ. So, and so there's all these Jews, and we'll see that in a moment. And what gives me proof of that is because when we, go, when we continue on in the text uh, uh, versus basically the talk of the feast, we're going to see that he had some popularity. Um, so even though all those people left, he was still kind of popular, which is just, I mean, man, think of the ruckus. yeah. We'll get into that in a moment. Talk of the feast. Let me continue on. Uh, let me break something down real quick. So we look at this here. Uh, we're at the uh, Feast of the Tabernacles. Um, there are these seven uh, you know, different uh, uh, feasts that are happening, that happens within Israel. And this one in particular is uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles. And what that looks like, and I, I think this is a really cool thing that we should try sometime. If you continue on, please. Um, this is like modern day, uh, what they do. But back in the day, uh, you have... Um, basically, they, they really wanted, there was a couple of reasons why they did this, and I'll explain what they're doing, is uh, they wanted uh, it to rain and have crops, um, and also this was to recognize uh, the exodus. Uh, this was to remind Israel, see, Israel did something really powerful that we, gotta re- we have to understand and start to do in our own lives, and that's retell the story of God in our life. And so what they do, because they understood, and, jo- and Joshua talks about them forgetting, Talks about them forgetting things, and we all forget, right? Something happened miraculous in your life, and you know it was God, and you bless the Lord. Look what the Lord has done on Tuesday, and in two months, you are like, look at nature, <laughs> or something crazy. You you, you sort of shun it off as it was just circumstance, you know, us meeting. That was a God thing, you know. So we so we so we can do that. And so what God says is I know your propensity to say to want to wish wish away things, you know, wish things away. You know, what's happened in Jen's life. So you're going to have doubts, sis. You know, you're going to have doubts about your about your faith in Jesus. And then Jesus says, I know that. But let me tell you what you got to do. See, he says to those guys, Israelites, you got to build these stones. OK, all right. You got to build these stones. So when you start thinking, no, the reason why the Jordan parted was because of science and and the way you know if the wind is right. And if the temperature is a certain way, the water goes down. He says, when you start thinking crazy like that, look at them stones. And made them stones remind you, no, God did this. That's called a memorial. Okay? So what this is, what these Jews do here, they make a memorial. So it's a, it's a, it's a feast of booths. So what they would do, nothing is kind of deep. They would build this little thing, and then they would stay in it. They would live in it for seven days. And what it reminds them of, of the Exodus. It reminds them of the wilderness. Try living in a box for seven days in your house. Do it in your backyard. Will you appreciate your house more? When you go to your house and you actually get some real food, won't you be excited? Won't it remind you of what God has done and how he's provided for you? That's what they were doing. So they did this because they, they sat in these houses, they do this, and then they go, man, this really reminds me because this is, this is kind of crappy. And so now I get to appreciate what, the story of God more. You follow me? So that's what, so that's what this was about, okay? So, that's, so now there was a lot of other things they did, but in particular, this was um, the Feast of Tabernacles that I wanted to share real quick. Um, let's continue on. Now in this feast, okay, now this is where all the Jews come and you gotta and this is an exciting time because you gotta remember these are pilgrims from all over the place and they're all Jews, okay? Um, and it says in the scriptures, however, after his brothers so we're continuing on, he just talked to the bros, after his brothers had left from the feast, he went also, not publicly but in secret. So I love this. So he says, I ain't going. Then they leave and he goes. Hilarious. Verse eleven. Now at the feast the Jews are watching him. Watching for him and asking. Now, notice this. He says, the Jews here, um, where, is the, where is that man? Then um, among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. I will propose to you that the Jews and the crowds are two different kind of people. OK, the Jews are a sort of co-word for leaders or the Pharisees, the, the leaders of the law. OK, and he calls them sort of, sort of the Jews. And then the crowds are just people who who are hearing about Jesus and really are kind of ignorant uh, from all over the place. And we, and the reason, one of the reasons I, I, I am pretty comfortable with saying that is because everybody was Jews here because it was a Jewish feast. Okay? So what, the crowds were the Jews too. But he says the Jews, almost like capital J, just to say those guys who thought they were all that. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Again, the Jews who these Pharisees, these leaders of the law, who if you start talking about, I think Jesus is kind of cool, and they beat on you, right? So that's why there was kind of like hush hush. I might like him, I might not, but I don't know what to say because I'm kind of scared. Um, when it <clears throat> during that time. So, so what happens during this time? I love this. So you got you got this you got this whispering here. You got these crowds talking about him, and, and I just love that this feast. I mean, he's like he's like a. One of the most important figures. I mean, people are just whispering and talking about him. And you can see more about this feast in Leviticus, uh, chapter 23, uh, where they talk specifically about this feast. And let's continue on. And so what Jesus does uh, is he begins to teach. Okay, so they tell you a little story about the crowds. Okay, so we got the brothers share their deal, tell you a little story about the crowds that we're dealing with. Then he begins to teach. But I love how his teaching uh, comes from criticism. Okay, now he probably wanted to break it it down, but then they started acting up. So then he said, okay, well, I had this little sermon I wanted to do, but I'll address some of your stuff. So he said, not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts um, and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Again, Jews, these people are concerned because they're supposed to be the rulers and teachers of the law. These Pharisees are supposed to be the big dogs, but but Jesus is smarter than them, so they're kind of jealous. Right. Verse 16. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does, does so to gain honor for himself. Don't miss these verses, family. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. And there is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? I mean, he sort of gets sarcastic with him. Uh, uh, he says, "Yet not one of you keeps the law." Then he just, "Why are you trying to kill me?" He just, he just "You put him on blast, and hey, you trying to kill me." You know, it reminds me of, remember when, remember when, uh, when Kanye West did that? It was hilarious. But, but, um, well, I'm sorry, y'all. Uh, you are, verse twenty. You are demon possessed. The crowd answered. But so the crowd is like, what are you talking, who's trying to kill you? Because, again, the crowd doesn't have all the story either because there's pilgrims all over the place. So there's all kinds of some truth and some lies and all kinds of stuff in the crowd right now. Right. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you're all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though, actually, it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs. I love that, too. I just love how Jesus, like, like, like he kind of messed up, like, oops, that, actually, that ain't where it come from. It came from the patriarchs, like just to break them off. And show them just how tight he is on the law because he wrote it. So, right? I mean, can you can imagine just playing with him. Um, you circumcise the child on the Sabbath. So, what he does, um, and for a second, time's going to So, what he does is he indicts them. He indicts, he almost plays their game. He says, okay, let's play a whole law game. Well, you're, you're circumcised on the Sabbath, okay? So, you will take care of a little part of a man and make it better. That's what you will do. Okay. He says, Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man? You hear that? You see what he does? He says, you know what? I ain't going to go into me being God and, you know, and I should just beat you up and all that stuff. We ain't not even go there. I'm going to play your game. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. He says, even in your own rules, you're messing up. Because you do this on the Sabbath. And you're taking a little part and doing a little something. I made the whole man whole. How much better is what I'm doing? You see that family? Plays by their own rules. So, so he, um, he, he talks about uh, the, the healing on the Sabbath, and then he continues on. Can we continue, please? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a point in one moment. So what he does, here are the points in that discussion. So we had a huge discussion there. Here's what's going on. Uh. We already talked about how many hadn't heard him before. Okay, So, he's, so these are pilgrims. Many hadn't heard him. And, and what he does, uh, it says, rabbis are always well-sourced by other teachers. What I mean by that, when you look at the text when you go home, um, notice that they were like, where are you getting this teaching from? So that's, so that's like sort of the topic right now. And, and the reason why that was a focus is because Jesus wasn't quoting anybody. Because see, in the first century, you, to, to 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 validate who you were and how smart you were, you you were trained by a teacher or you were trained by rabbis, and so you'll say a little something true, and then you'll break off a little quote from one of your boys that taught you, you know. So they go, oh yeah, that was from Jerome, you know, or whatever. You know, I don't know if many Israelites are named Jerome, but but um, you know, so you would quote people. But Jesus like, so you would quote people even even who are like a little more wiser, sort of sort of build your credibility. Right, and we all do that. We name drop kind of. That's what you would do back then. Okay, uh, not much has changed. Well, Jesus going. So who am I quote? Because I'm kind of God. So like, well, I guess I'll just quote me. Right. And so they're like, where are you, basically, where's your teaching coming from, dude? You know. And that's what he says. Well, you don't understand. See, it's coming from Him who sent me. I'm quoting God. You follow me? Okay. So, and he, then he discusses the whole lingering effects of the of the hill paralytic. Okay, now hear that. I wanted to show you guys there. He said, "Hey, I'm trying to validate that I'm the king of the universe. I mean, okay, you trying to say I did this on uh, on a Sabbath, but guess what? You're doing the same stuff on the Sabbath, and mine is greater. So how am I indicted and you're not? Can we all go to jail? Right?" He's like, "Oh no, we can't. Okay, so I guess I should be I should be free too, then, right?" So he plays their game. Jesus' point is this, family. Don't miss it. I love this. Um, In in verse, let me see if I can uh, find a key verse here. Um, He says, uh, willingness brings clarity. They ask him, um, how do I know, that? where is your your teaching coming from? And in scripture, uh, he says that you will know my teaching. uh, He who speaks, verse 18, he who speaks on his own does sort of gain honor for himself. He says in verse 17, um, if anyone chooses to do God's will, you hear that? He will find out whether my teaching comes from God. I love this. Anyone who chooses to do God's will. So you're asking. So yeah, how do I, how do I know if this is the Lord, or even in my own life, like how how do I get clarity? How do I get discernment? How do I, how do I enter into this this relationship where God reveals Himself to me? Okay, because that's what Jesus is really talking about. Jesus is basically saying, if you want to know if God's in this, if you want to know God, if you want to know about God, then do God's will. Or I would even suggest to you, he's saying desire. He's saying desire to do God's will. Like, just desire, and God will, God will give you discernment. Now, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I can't, I can't um, break that down right now, but we can put the verse up. Uh, willingness brings clarity, dedication brings discernment. I always say this, but it's very clear in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, is the verse up here? Um, Romans, basically he says, to to show your good, approved, and perfect will, in the end of verse verse 2 of Romans chapter 12, check the address out. Um, And what it's saying here is that in our world, what we want is we want discernment from God. We want God to reveal himself to us. We want God to show us that he is real. We want God to work in our lives. We want to see God's supernatural power. And then, if we want the stuff that God is showing us, we'll do it. God says No. Do you see that we want discernment and then we want to be dedicated. That's contrary to scripture. The Bible says. So anybody here is an unbeliever right now. Hear this. The Bible says that you don't get discernment until you dedicate it. I'm just telling you the truth. Christians, you want the power of God. You want Holy Spirit power be dedicated. He's saying, you know, the reason why you can't understand what God is showing you, because you don't really want to serve God. And God's not going to show you anything. And they're saying That's what the scriptures are saying. So unbelievers, family, hear me. If you're going, man, all right, is God real in my life? He's saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Discernment brings dedication. God is, why do we think we can pimp God? Why do we have the audacity to think we can say, God, show me this, show me this, and if I like it, I'll do it. God is saying, so who's God in that picture? God is saying, no, no, no. I want you to say, I don't care what you show me. I am dedicated to you. And then guess what? It opens up. That discernment, God-centered wisdom, Holy Spirit power. But it only happens when when you're dedicated and you're not just waiting for God to bless you and your agenda. It's all about agenda, really. It's really about agenda. Who's agenda? That's what it's all about. Okay, so... So Jesus' point, when we're talking about the criticism that he talks about when he when he begins to teach here, is basically I just want you guys to understand. I want you to understand God, but you're not dedicated. You're kind of evil, and I'm just gonna put it on, I'm just gonna put it out there. And that's why you not you don't figure out God, and you just can't understand why you can't walk with God. And I talk to people all the time, and they just think God just owes them everything. They supposed God supposed to show them this, and why won't God show me that? And I'm mad at God, and I'm just going, you know, and I gotta be all nice and pastor. I gotta be all like, oh, for real. Yeah, I know, God, yeah. And I'm thinking in my head, like, dude, you, you, dude, you, you think you're God. This is totally selfish. God didn't have the answer to you. He created you. Can you hear me on, please? I'm sorry. Um, so, so, so we got the first teaching, right? So they say, where are your teaching coming from? This is just kind of weird, right? Then they say, all right, this, this is getting crazier. Where does he come from? Right. So, so now here's, some, here's all the verses. I just, I'm just mentioning these key verses right here for the sake of time, family. So your address is 33 through 36, 42, but also 25 to 29. So are we, are we seeing an argument? So starts with the brothers, okay? He puts them on blast. Y'all kind of crazy and evil. Then we see the people talking about Jesus. Wow, we don't know who Jesus is, but we're scared of the Jews. He continues on. He gets there, starts teaching, which I think is kind of interesting that he didn't want to die yet. Talk about the sovereignty of God, but he teaches in, a, in the most public place that you could in the first century. Um, and then they say, hey, who are you, dude? Like, like, uh, like, where are you getting all this? And then they say, well, okay, you answer that kind of, you know, you put us on glass. You said we're circumcising people, you healing people. We look kind of stupid. Well, let's go somewhere else. Where does he come from? OK, you see the flow of argument? Verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem begin to ask, isn't this the man that they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? Um, but we know where this man is from. When he, when the Christ comes, no one would know where he is from. Uh, then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me. I just love, I just, I think Jesus is kind of ghetto, y'all. I think he's kind of street. Because here he is teaching. It's like, you know, y'all, almost like you can just picture hearing the brothers talking like, Yo, hold up, man. Yeah, you know me, you know, and like, like start dialogue with some other cats. You know what I'm saying? Like kind of street, like on Mac, like just doing it. So, so, yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. Um, I'm not there on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, see? But I know him because I am from him, um, and he has sent me. Um, let me continue on real quick for the sake of time. So we're dealing with a couple, a couple issues here. Can we continue on? We're dealing with an irony check. Uh, irony, if you don't know, a technique of indicating as uh, through character or plot development an intention or attitude opposite to that which is actually or sensibly stated. Where's the irony in that passage, family? Can you go back to the passage, E? God, I can't miss this. Yes, sir. Oh, I here. hmm Yeah, so so they they, they they should know but they don't know. And he, and and let's go even more go, go go further with uh what Deborah Naomi just said, 'cause I like I like that. And let's continue on. You gonna say something, Colleen? Can you add on to that a little or? Right there, I mean, it's, just, it's just in their face. And what's in their face? Matt? No. You see that? Yeah. So it's ironic that they're like, well, we know where he's from. But the irony is that they really don't. The irony is he's going, well, you know where I'm from, but you don't know where I'm from. Like, you know my hometown, but you don't know my hometown. You know what I'm saying? Like, like so it's just unbelievable uh, the irony. that I don't want you to miss that because this, this, chapter 7 is filled with irony of the very things that people are looking for they can't even see. The very things they need. They won't grab to. It's filled with irony. So please leave here and, and and look at look at the look at the narrative in chapter seven and eight. Unbelievable the irony here. Um, take takeaway please. Uh, the takeaway here. So we read the passage. Um, to love Jesus, you had to become like Him. Now you notice at the end of the passage, um, he bounces. I'm going to bounce back. Bounce back to to. Stay with me, guys. To the verses. Notice in the passage there. Uh, he tells them, he says, you know what? Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I am not there on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Continue on, please. To, those. to love Jesus, you have to become like him. Philippians 2.5, we say, well, how do I, like, what does it mean to love Jesus? You know, because people, you know, we talk, you know, when you share your faith, and you talk about faith, and people don't, well, how do I get it? Like, what is belief? What is faith? And you look at Philippians 2.5. Um, a very, a very, famous, very famous verse, and for the, I wasn't going to read this, but I just want us to you can write that address down, very famous passage here It says, "Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ right I said it before. What was Christ's attitude throughout this passage that we've seen in the two arguments? What was his attitude? What is he saying? What's Christ's attitude? What's his demeanor? What's his posture? Who said it? Who said it? Humility. Don't miss it, guys. It's right there. He does what the Father wants. That's the whole deal. He 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 totally takes it off himself. You would think being God, he would be like, Well, I'm God. He's like, No, you know what? I'm sent by the Father. I do what he wants me to do. I say what he wants me to say. My learning comes from him. You want to know me? You you need to know him. The attitude of Jesus is like, if you really want to know me, know God. And you'll know me. That's fair, right? From what we've seen in the text. Now, why, why does this matter? Like, why does this whole attitude and, like, obedience and, like, this whole, like, external... Because basically what we're saying is, like, to love Jesus, you have to be like him. Like, are we like that? Like, do we say, Lord, like, what you want is what I want? And, and are, we, are we finding ourselves wrestling with that? Now, this is not about works-based salvation. You understand me? <laughs> okay? But this is about understanding what the gospel is about. See, you know, see, some, when we think... see. When we think the gospel is simply about going to heaven and you miss creation, you miss a whole lot. You're like, whoa, wait, you're telling me the Bible's not just about going to heaven? Gospel's not? I would tell you that Jesus says eternity doesn't start in heaven. He says eternity starts the day you give your life to Christ. Look at the verse. This is 1 John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. The scriptures read... See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, the gospel, the truth of God. If it does, you will also remain in the Son. Okay, if it does, you, right, so we walk with the Lord, and guess what He's like? You remain in the Son and, um, and in the Father, right? You're a Christian. Right? We we walk we we love God and we're Christians. Praise the Lord. And this is what He promised us. What He promised us? I'm just doing a grammar. He promised us that if we have faith in him, he will be with us. He will give give us life, and he will take our sin. That's the promise. And guess what? And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. When does that happen? At conversion. That happens when we say yes to Jesus. Eternal life starts the day you say yes to Christ. See, what God is doing here, see, that's why, that's, why, that's why sanctification is very important, family. We're not just trying to be better people. God is doing, he's recreating things. See, what God is doing is he's saying, guess what? The world is marred. And guess what I've done out of my graciousness and my love is that I'm going to make all things new. That's what Jesus says. I'm making all things new. And what he does, he has the audacity to say, and not only am I going to do it in perfection when I come back, but I'm going to start the process right now. And guess what? I'm not going to just start the process right now. I'm going to let you help me. I'm going to let you help me make all things new. So how does it work? All right, yeah. Going to the drug house and saying, no more drugs here. We're making all things new. Stars starts with justice. Hey, we look at our own lives. God begins to change us. The reason why he's changing us because it's a clear indicator and a reminder to the world that he is making all things new. That's why sanctification is important. Not so we can be more, just have a moral compass, but so we can remind the world and remind ourselves that God's work is working in us. That he's doing something in us. That his promises is true. New creation is what the gospel is about. That Jesus died and rose from the dead to say, I'm king of all things and I'm making all things new. And you participate in that. You understand, family? Don't make small or truncate the gospel. We have done disservice to the gospel if we just tell somebody. And that's why it's weird. That's why we don't know what to do it now. We go, okay, so if I come to Christ and then I'm going to be in heaven one day, then what do I got to do with it now? And we, we sort of don't know what to do with it now. Now is very important, family, because God's work starts now. Praise him. Um, continue on, please. Okay, so I did a little tidbit here. It has nothing to do with the story. Um, the sovereignty and irony of God, here's some key verses, verse 6, 10, and 30. You can write them down in your notes. I just think it's unbelievable when you see these verses, how I mean, man, like, okay, at this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because it's time had not yet come. I, I read that over and over. I've been, you know, I've been in ministry for years. I still don't understand how they didn't beat him down. He's preaching in a crowd. A lot of people want to kill him. And the scriptures say, God said, not yet. Period. do we trust the sovereignty of God like that that convicts my heart fam wow that God's hand is on me and that only by God can anything happen to me anything that should change your life continue on please the invitation so we got can talk to the crowd two big two arguments what's the major arguments Two main arguments. Huh? No, what's the two main arguments of the people? Why, what, what is Jesus teaching? What are the two things he's combating? Where did he come from? Where did he get his teaching? Okay, cool. Um, we got the tidbit. Just, just, I want you just to see the sovereignty of God. They all through that. And then we got this invitation here, right? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Um, Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Um, Man, I tell you, like these two verses you can just do a sermon on. So I can't even do justice to what happens to you and me the day we say yes to Jesus. Continue I want to unpack this a little bit. Okay. So, um, this is, so what they would do is they would have this piece of tabernacles. They would stay in this little joint, you know, at night. And then they would, um, go in in the morning they would get water from the pool. Actually, the same pool, uh, where the paralytic was healed. Okay. Um, which is symbolic. Okay. And then Jesus coming, in, living water, and he gives it, and it's in the pool, and it's like healing water. Come on now, fill it up. So, so um so he so he goes to the pool of Siloam and um and so what I would say is the implication of Jesus saying this, okay, you've got the gift of the water from the rock in the desert. So he's trying to he's doing something magnificent here, family. He's taking some old testament prophecies that we see in the scriptures that you can write these down. Okay, so here are the people in Israel kinda thirsty, right? And then we see where does the water come from in the scriptures? Jesus, oh yeah. I like her. She, you know, when you out, Jesus. So, um, no, 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 I do that. Go on now, we all do that. Don't act like y'all ain't the only, you ain't the only one, me too. So, it comes from the rock, right? Remember in Exodus? They hit the rock, water comes out of rock. Very cool, because water don't come out of rock, so that was kind of cool, you know. Um, right, so he does, so he does that. Continue on, please. The of the, uh, the flowing of the river of living water from the temple in the kingdom of God. OK, so so Ezekiel prophesies that there will be this flowing of water um, uh, when the kingdom of God comes. OK, so we got the past. All right. We got the present. Continue on, please. The waters that flow in a new age from Jerusalem to the eastern and western seas. OK, so we got here's what happened. This is when they, they needed water and wanted water. Uh, here's the promise of them getting water. And here's uh, the beauty of the continuation of water forever. All right. And then what I love about everything is that what he's doing right here, he's saying it all comes together and flows through Jesus. You see that? So the past experience of salvation, present prayer, and future hope is available and offered through Jesus. And picture this. They're getting the water, and this is at a time, I mean, I think they would all even say a little chant. And then it says in the scriptures, uh, when I when I read it there, it says that Jesus cried out and said. Okay? So he said this out loud to people during this right time, R. I. T. E. Can you imagine him just showing out? You know, like, you know, we get catch, you know, remember, y'all know, if you look, think back now, when we was in Nichols, we homies who kind of like tipsy coming up in here and just get up and start saying stuff. And I'm into that, you know, praise the Lord. But, um, you, you know, they probably thought Jesus was kind of crazy because he gets up and he says, this, this living water will flow one day and starts, can you imagine? You're like, this man, this brother just won't stop, right? So, so what happens here, can you keep going, please, please? So this is what he's saying. Jesus is saying that in Christ, I want us to understand the the, the major point that he's trying to make here is that in Christ uh, we have creation and recreation is flowing into Jesus. Do you see that? That everything, that all that we see happening here in the text here, he's saying it all culminates in the cross. It all all culminates um, in Jesus Christ. Uh, Continue on, please, because we've got to get going. So what does that mean? Okay, that, that was a cute little picture in the water flowing, but what does that mean? Okay, um... Implications of drinking and flowing. A couple things, family. Um, satisfaction. That's I want to miss this. So, so implications of satisfaction. He's saying that for the person who actually wants, who first we all need to realize we're thirsty, and then that in Jesus we can actually drink, that that person will fully be satisfied. What I love about these truths, these are truths you've got to believe by faith. Because some of us, many of us are sitting here right now Uh, And we have days where we feel filled with the Lord. And some days we love God, and God has saved us by his grace, and we feel totally empty. And the question you have to ask yourself is, what do you do during that day? Because, see, that's the day where I want to tell you, you know, we try to do self-help, we try to muscle ourselves up. And it seems that the Bible is saying, believe. Believe. Believe by faith that God's waters are still flowing in and through you. That takes faith. That there's an abundant supply. That, that, that God doesn't run out. That it is continuous and abundant. And now don't miss this one now. Don't miss this one. Remember toward the end of that passage what he says, okay, Uh, We're talking verses 37 to 39, okay? He says, um, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from him. Um, I love that because flow from him. I want to propose to you that the last one is a resource. There's a missional posture to your salvation. And I would say the whole canon teaches that. This just affirms it, that Jesus, what he does is he culminates all the refreshment in himself. And he says, not only will I give you life, not only will I fill you, not only will I keep it going, but I'm going to have it pour out from you. And so I just want us all to ask ourselves, are there any bottlenecks in that process? Is there any place where it's stopping? Is it stopping with the filling part? Is it stopping with the overflowing part? Where are we at, fam? Let's just ask ourselves. Because I want to suggest to you, you're not saved just to be saved. Right? But God is saying, no, no, no. See, I'm doing a great work in you, but now I want it to flow out. And that that is a missional posture. That he has now given us the mandate to be kingdom proclaimers. That's why we share our faith. That's why we tell the world what he told his brothers that's the mission, that God loves you seriously, but he's perfect and holy, seriously. And I'm telling you, you want to experience true life. I know you do. But if you want to serve yourself as your own God, one day God indeed will judge all, period. Missional posture, family. That's why we are so. That's why being on mission is a core ethos of our body. That's why we go and we hustle all the time in the street. It is not a church growth mentality. It is not a church growth like okay, so we do this, we'll get more people. This is not about public relations, family. Please hear that. Uh, we don't care. I don't care if the body here grows. I do care that people deepen their walks to Jesus and that we can clearly articulate the gospel to the community. Are you willing to go there with us? Are you willing to say, if no one else comes to Jesus but we clearly demonstrate the gospel and we clearly articulate the gospel and we clearly show the gospel in our lives and no one else comes to Christ, will you still see yourself as obedient? Or will you go, you know what, this church not hitting like it used to. I'm gonna dip. Right Now, we stop teaching the gospel, we start coming over here and teaching all kooky stuff, and we're not sharing our faith, leave. You should. We're being disobedient. But if we're obedient, and we're loving radically, and we're proclaiming the gospel, and we're serving, and we're giving our stuff for the king, don't leave. Let's not be bamboozled by growth. And all this other stuff. This is like the Lord has shown us. Let's have that mission of posture, family, no matter what. Continue on, and I'm done. Um, so so here, here's, here's this is interesting uh, Dead Sea. Very interesting. What's interesting about the Dead Sea? Why do they call it the Dead Sea, fam? Okay, I'm so sorry. Let me, I'm, I'm just going to actually probably have to close in the middle of this because we've got to eat. Dead Sea. What's cool is that you have a river flowing into the Dead Sea. And usually with the sea, you have uh, rivers flowing in and then the sea flows out. And the Dead Sea is one the, uh, where it flows in and nothing flows out. Right? And it's arid and dry. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. And I love this. It's a good picture of what the spiritual life could be um, when we're not fully being and articulating and understanding the gospel. We don't want to be the Dead Sea fam. He gives, he gives the invitation clearly. Continue on, Edal, you're doing great, buddy. Responses are crazy. We're not going to read through them all. we got the Jews, haters. We already know that. The crowd's mixed up. It says some in the scriptures, it says still many in the crowd put their faith in him. All this drama, all this ruckus, he stands up in the middle of one of the, one of the rites. he's talking about, I'm the water, drink me. And, and they say, I want, to, I want to follow that guy. Um... Okay, real quick, the crowd, different people, but look at the guards. I love this. Finally, the temple guards went back, so they said, guards, arrest that man. Look what did the guards say. <laughs> the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked him, why didn't you bring him in? They come in. They're like, where's Jesus? We asked you to arrest him. Where's Jesus? They say, look, man, i, I never seen anybody speak like that, brother. I mean, he was breaking it down, dog. Like, I mean, you tight, but he was breaking it down. Said, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. They were scared to bring him in he, from just his speech. they was like, you've got to go get him because he was talking about this water stuff. I don't know. You, I'm just saying, man. Interesting. Continue on, please. What's our response? All this information, right? Hope is encouraging us in the Lord, the truth of God. What's our response? A lot of tidbits there. What's our response? I'd love to get warm response from somebody. What are you going to do today in light of God's truth to say, Jesus, I trust you more today than yesterday? If somebody tells me, you can eat. <laughs> Don, what's up? Talk to me, sis. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Bring it. Hurry up. We've got to eat. um, Relaxing my finances. She worked like eight jobs, y'all. I'm just joking. She does work a lot, though. But, um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And and I think it's a model of this. It is trust the sovereignty of God. And that we, you know, and that's awesome. Uh, Fam, a lot of information. Uh, uh, throw out with me, just the, the, this, this, this hit the argument real quick. Beginning is what? The of Jesus. So we've got the brother of Jesus, right? Then what happens? Has a discussion with them. Try and force his interest in leadership. Interest in leadership. Thank you, sis. Yep, exactly. Then what happens, guys? Then? Goes, in. goes anyway. Then what happens? He teaches, he teaches against what? What are, the, what are the two main things he's teaching? Are you, you she's going to be my teacher's pet in a minute. You stop. I don't want you saying nothing else, because you're doing good. I want you to, but I want to, I want somebody else. Is somebody else here? What are we talking about today? All right. Nay dog. Cool. Okay. Okay. What happens then? Irony. So we got the little sovereign, the tidbits. Thank you. Really cool. All right. Uh, this is where it gets crazy, because I, I mixed verses up, but I wanted to have us, uh, the main point. Then we have Jesus uh, basically saying uh, the water, you know, that he's the, he's the water that flows, right? So he talks about the Holy Spirit. Then finally, throughout the text, you'll see different responses of people, okay? So make sure you look at that when you, when you go back to the text. All right, um, please, allow, ask the Lord to give you understanding of how you want to apply uh, the Holy Word to your life and allow the Holy Spirit to do it. Don't just self-will, transformation, allow the Lord to do it. And uh, I'm going to pray for us.